Hello, Miami. This is 305 Sports Now, your home podcast and channel for all things Miami sports related. I am Will, and I'd like to welcome back a special friend to the show, Local 10's news anchor, actually sports anchor, uh, Mr. Clay Ferraro. Clay, how's it going? It is going well, my friend. I know you are uh, getting back in the swing of school just like I am. So, uh, you know, between having a wife who's teaching nonstop and trying to, you know, satisfy everything she needs to do with with her kids and her class. And, you know, I'm, I'm being uh, Mr. Mom at home as much as I can. So, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to strike that balance while still getting ready for the football season and also the Miami Heat season. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're trying to juggle a bunch of different balls at the same time, but doing it the best we can. Yeah, the, the, the transition process is, isn't a, isn't very easy. I'm doing the same exact thing. You know, I have my, my son here at home as well, who's been sick. So it's been very, it's been very challenging these last couple of days. All right, but so I'll get to it. You know, I'll get to it because I, I know you, I know you want to be with your daughters and so on. Um, so what we're gonna break down today is pretty much is some can, some canes and some dolphins. All right. Uh, as far as the canes go and so on, last year, you know, they had offensively they averaged 34 points a game. We saw the ascension of Tyler Van Dyke. We saw the six straight games of 300 yards passing and and whatnot. In comes Mario Cristobal and so on, who people expect he's going to be more of a run-oriented type of coach in comparison to Manny Diaz, who wanted a more cutting-edge, exploding, exploded offense. Through your sources and so on, uh, have you heard of anything in particular that uh, we should be expecting from the Canes this year? No, I, I mean, I, I think that I've been of the belief that especially because the ACC is so down, that you know, we, when you're bringing in the best quarterback in the conference, and, and I think by a decent amount, and you've got a lot of talent on that team, I, I think they should do really well. Now, I will say that the depth is going to be tested. And, and look, Mario Cristobal has done a fantastic job since he got to South Florida in recruiting, especially for future classes. But, you know, I, I mean, there was still a depth issue going into the season. And so, you know, obviously, like so many teams, it's going to be predicated on our can you keep your starters healthy? And, and thankfully, you know, Zion Nelson comes back on uh, you know recording this on Tuesday, he came back today. So, you know, that sort of thing, I think, is going to be really important that they've got as much of their quality starters ready to roll and, and stay healthy as long as possible, uh, perhaps more than than in, in years to come when they would hopefully be able to fill the, the roster with high quality players from top to bottom. Absolutely. And one thing that, that Chris Paul's done is he's tried building depth because he also doesn't want his players to become complacent, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of the team itself. So having basically the next man up, you know, mentality and and, and having a solid bench. Like, for example, uh, the defense this year is set to be a lot better than it, than it was last year, because one thing that Chris Paul did is that he built up the, the, the defensive line, you know, bring mm -hmm. in, you know, transfer portal guys like Lichtenstein from, out of USC, Akeem Mesidor over at, uh, out of West Virginia as well cornerbacks as well like Derek Porter Daryl Porter you know over from West Virginia as well so mm -hmm. depth is the number one priority as far as as player personnel goes for Mario and you just mentioned the offensive line Zion Nelson you know uh the way Mario Cristobal's recruited the offensive line this season for the 2023 class he might have a an offensive line group that could rival on paper could rival the future of, of what was a, a 2001 class that was just absolutely dominant based upon, you know, what he wants to build from the old Canes and what he learned out of Alabama. Well, and this is what we've always said about the University of Miami is you're not going to have a problem finding skill guys. And and look, it's you do want to get back to where you are beating Alabama and Ohio State and, and USC and, and, you know, the the big the big schools for the best 
skill players and, and the five-star type guys. And yet you're always going to have enough if you recruit properly at the skill spots, because even the, the three-star recruit from a South Florida school that may not get the major offers, um, you know, you're going to still be able to put a quality player on the field if you fill out the depth properly. The lines are key and, and they've been key. And, and unfortunately, that's been a major problem for UM for a long time. Nobody knows that better than Mario. And it's not it's not a coincidence that you see him out there working with the offensive line, frankly, more than any head coach I've ever seen. Um, now, obviously, that's where his heart is. Uh, and yet I also think that, you know, there's there's a necessity to that. Like he he has a way that he wants offensive linemen to play. and. Yeah, he was an O-lineman, and yeah, that's his heart, but it also means he know he knows how the position should be played. And if he's able to get that fixed, and you already got the quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, and obviously the recruiting very, very well, and bringing in another QB. So, like, you can see the vision for where the floor and the ceiling for this program are raised so much simply by improving the offensive line. And once you do that, everything else is going to follow. Yeah, in terms of the offensive line, um, that's one thing that Mario has really greatly emphasized on because, like I said, you know, he likes the idea of depth. Um, from your experience covering, you know, teams in general, not just like the Canes, but the Dolphins, transitioning from a from a more of a finesse line to a more physical line in general, uh, I covered the Canes last year. Last year's line was a bit more finesse. Do you think it will be a difficult mm -hmm. transition once game time starts? Or do you think that this line, because generally from what I heard, offensive linemen love to run block more than pass protect. Do you think uh, that this team will pick it up rather quickly? You hope so. And, and you, you know, you just don't know until they get out there and they play. It's We could sit here and give, hey, well, you know, in, in my experience, I think that being able to go out there and, and smash the guy in front of you as opposed to taking a bucket step and dropping back and all that. Like you can put all that out there, but so much of O-line play, and you know this, is uh, how how well are you in sync with the guy next to you? And how well do you know the protection calls? I mean, how many times have we seen when an offensive line gets beat, it's, I would say more often, not because the defensive guy who beats him is so much better than the offensive guy. A lot of times it's missed assignments. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there there are fewer opportunities for, for missed assignments that lead to bad big plays like sacks and fumbles and things like that um, when you're running the ball more. And yet you do have to get to a point where everybody's comfortable with that because, you know, you don't want to put yourself in those third and long situations because then the same sort of thing happens. You're still in a situation where you're having to pass and you don't want to. The other team knows you're passing and then you get back to not knowing your assignment. So, I mean, theoretically, yeah, you could see a world where because you're you're getting out there and being more of a power based attack that the offensive linemen love it. And, and you know, maybe you don't have quite as as many of the, the, the negative plays on first and second down and yet you still got to do it right or else you're. Yeah, you know, maybe you're in third and eight, third and nine. You still have issues with that. Um, so, I, look, I, I'm optimistic with everything I've heard. I do think that it's a process, and we're not going to know just how far along in the process they are. And, look, give credit to Mario because he hasn't sugarcoated this thing. I mean, he's come out and he said, we're not where we need to be. And, and I, I don't think that's coach speak. I think it's, hey, this is going to be a process where we are transitioning, and – we may have talented players and we have a vision for how to get there, but 
these are still college players and you're not out there nonstop like like NFL teams are in the offseason where you can work hands on with these guys. And obviously in the NFL, it's not, you know, mini camps and stuff like that. It's not full pads all the time and going. But man, you get out there and get the mental reps. It takes time. And so I, I, I think that theoretically, yeah, the, the transition should be easier than if you were going from the other to the other, going from the power style to the, the finesse style. And yet we just won't know until they line it up, not just against Bethune, but then you get to the next couple of weeks after that, and especially a and I think we'll have a better idea. Yeah, I think a and is going to be the ultimate test for the Canes. And uh, yeah. and a lot of, people, a lot of uh, fans that, are, that you know listen to this channel, they don't think A&M is that good, but I do think that Miami hasn't been these great teams either you know, uh, the last few years. So I think AM is an ultimate test. First of all, let's, let's not forget that Jimbo Fisher also had the top recruiting class in the country, actually on record. So I, the AM will definitely be better. The only thing I give Miami a definite advantage over AM is the quarterback situation. Tyler Van Dyke yep. is much better than their quarterback that they have right now in AM. Speaking of Tyler Van Dyke and Mario Cristobal, um, we talked about how, how, how coach has been very honest about his assessment of the team heading into practice, heading into game one. Um, also, the standard in terms of practice and discipline has also increased. And we've actually heard that from the players as well, you know, as far as TBD and even Jafari Harvey has made uh, has made um, comments like that. Um, in terms of of the standard, you know, that Mario brings to the table, he was the same way at FIU. He comes from the Alabama Nick Saban coaching tree. Um, is it is it do you think it's difficult for some of these players uh, to reach that kind of a standard because Mario is always going to want perfection. It's very difficult to have perfection. What do you think about that? Well, you better and and you better find a way to reach that or else you're going to have other players coming in to take your spot. And, you know, I, I you don't want to run this thing. And this is what's interesting. And, and I kind of got this vibe being out there just asking some people around the program, just asking them what it's like. And, you know, I got there and you, know, you get there for practice one day and after practice, you got all, all uh, you know, coaches and uh, with their families hanging out and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you know, it's it's this chill laid back. But no, not at all. And so what I think Mario is doing, and this gets back to your question, he understands that you have to build a solid relationship and let these guys know that you care about them so that when you go out there and you bust their rear end and you get onto them, they know that it's coming from the right place. And they also know that, man, we're all pulling in the same direction. We're all out here to win. And he he establishes this this relationship, this bond, this look. It's it's us against the world. But in order to win in this us against the world, I got to have you be better than the best that you've seen so far that we've seen so far out of you. So, look, I, is it is it difficult? I'm sure for for some players it is. I'm sure for some players it's refreshing, especially if if it's the type of player who has felt like maybe others haven't been been trying quite as hard as they need to to finally have somebody come in and hold them accountable. So I, I think that if you're going to be the best that you can be as a program, you need somebody doing that. And you need to have somebody, by the way, that does it the right way, or else you just have somebody screaming into a vacuum. Like if you can't come in, and I, somebody made this comment about Jim Harbaugh years ago, and this is before he, he went to the 49ers from, from Stanford. They said, you know, uh, the thing that's great about Jim Harbaugh is by the time his college players are tired of him, they graduate. Whereas in the NFL, <laughs> the players have to stick with him. And so I, I think there's a difference between just being hard on players to the point where you you grind on them and they're just ready to get away from you and doing what it appears that Mario is trying to do, which is 
you establish this relationship and let them know you care about them, let them know you care about their families, that your family cares about them and their families. And, and so then when you yell at them, they take it the right way. And so I think he's trying to do that. I think hopefully that most players are taking that the right way. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if after this year you have a mass exodus via the transfer portal by players who uh, aren't performing up to expectations. And then when they're worked hard, they don't want to do it. And that's kind of the natural progression with the turnover when you have a new coaching staff come in like this. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure for some players it's hard. And frankly, I think for a lot of those players, it'll be their one and only year under Coach Cristobal. They'll, they'll find somewhere else to go. Yeah, we'll see how this year goes. Uh, so far from what I've heard, the players have bought in, you know, because you had guys like DJ Ivey's come, has come back. He could have gone to the NFL. He's taken a chance. Mm -hmm. He's back. Gilbert Frierson's back. You know, uh, they, you know, Jake Garcia didn't, didn't hit the transfer portal, you know. Uh, so I think from what I've heard, some of the players have bought. We'll see how the season goes. And, you know, and if when tough times hit, how these players react to a, a, like a beating from Cristobal, because he doesn't take anything from, from the players. But as of right now, from what I've heard, the players have bought in. So I think that's a, that's a positive, you know, as far as the program goes. Because I mean, not to not to not, not to criticize the former coaching staff, but they felt like there wasn't accountability. To give an example, um, the, uh, I forgot his name. You know, uh, the, the the previous the previous quarterback, um, the one out of Georgia, the one that lost the FIU game. He was out partying the night before. And oh, Jaron Williams. Thank you, Jaron Williams. Yes, you know, yeah. and it showed in his performance against FIU, and he wasn't suspended. You know, and that's something and I hadn't that, even heard about that. Yeah, that's he was out partying the night before, and coach is just not gonna coach is not gonna tolerate that. You know in particular so so that it's good to see accountability it's the way the old school canes were you know i uh i uh saw uh leon searcy the former right tackle for the university of miami and you know a multi-time pro bowler when he was at uh at uh, with the steelers and also with the jaguars and he said the one thing that jimmy johnson always said you guys can celebrate but don't cause penalties you mm -hmm. know and so mm -hmm. discipline was was the number one factor that made those those canes great and chris ball was part of that of those championships so i think that's uh that he's just he's just translating that over uh to this team as well you know so. well and you saw him come in and for one of the first things he does he gets rid of the turnover chain and yeah. like i i was somebody i like the turnover chain when it was implemented and yet i i i fully understand the idea that number one it, it probably ran its course yeah. and number two what mario was trying to let these guys know is that the work has to come before the flash and I think there was there was a sense when the turnover team came out, it was that 20 was 2016, 2017 team, 2017, 2017. Um, that, that was so good, went to the ACC title game. And you had a lot of veterans on that team that had kind of earned the right to have the turnover chain. And it became this thing. And that team was very, very good. And and yet I think what's lost is that the turnover chain became something that was just like kind of expected every year. And what I think Mario is trying to do is get these guys to understand once again, I don't think he's going to bring back the turnover chain, but like you can't have this like flash waiting for you. And it's a bad look when you're down 40 to seven and breaking out that like you have to put in the work on the field at Green Tree at the at the sofa and you have to be ready to rock. And then, yeah, then you celebrate and do all that sort of stuff. But I mean, that's the type of mentality that he's trying to instill. You're right. Not just the, you know, the discipline, the lack of penalties, things like that. But you got to work hard and the hard work has to come before the the celebration and, and the, the spoils and something that Nick Saban says that I, I think is spot on you know Nick Saban comes off as just being cranky and um, but one thing he always says and you see it with him like when he's leading his players out of the tunnel he'll say 
I work them so hard during the week that the game should be fun. And so if you're Mario Cristobal, you've worked them so hard in the spring. You were working so hard in the fall. You made sure they were working so hard in the weight room, strength and conditioning, to where hopefully Saturday is fun. And not just this Saturday, but hopefully a lot of Saturdays this fall if you're a Kings fan. Yeah, going back to the chain for, for about a, a split second, I actually liked the chain when it first came out. I uh, My wife gave me a, a t-shirt of the chain as well. So I used to, I used to wear it when I used to go to games. But it, it did get stale, you know. When you're ten and zero and you're beating Notre Dame and you're beating FSU, you know that that chain that chain looks good. But when you're losing Alabama by by basically by twenty five points and you break yep. out the chain, it looks bad. You know, it looks yep. more like a, like an individual accolade more so than a team accolade. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that chain I think the chain needed to be retired. You know, you know, with this coaching staff, and you need to start fresh. You know, with a new mentality, new mindset, and so on. Um, okay, so we're done with the Canes a little bit. Uh, we'll go into the Dolphins. This is uh, where you where you and I are gonna have a little bit of fun. All right. Uh, listen, I have criticized Tua, you know, on on the air several times. You know, it's 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 hard because um, when you look at the guy, speaking of Green Tree, when you look at the guy that plays on Saturdays, you know, TVD, and he throws a deep ball, he makes it look so easy. The first couple of years of Tua throwing a deep ball. It looked like he was throwing a shot put, you know, so it's, hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a little bit, um, difficult, you know, to look at, you know, it's, it's not fair for Tua, you know, compare him, you know, to Mahomes or TVD or, or anything, but it is what it is. You know, he, his arm strength has been a question uh, of many scouts, of many pundits and the of NFL analysts. He's looked decent in practice and he looked decent in practice. And although that some guys on ESPN who just like to talk, you know, have said that, uh, that oh, you know, he underthrew Tyreek Hill in the last preseason game. Mind you, it's still a 55-yard pass, right? That's not, mm-hmm. a, that's, not an easy, that's not an easy pass to throw. Most of us can't throw past 35 yards, okay? Um, yep. Tua had a very bad injury. Is this a result? His arm looks a little better. We saw a 65-yard pass in practice that went viral. Uh, is this a result that maybe his hips healing so he's able to push more off the ball? Uh, what do you think about that? I think it's a combination of everything, and you know Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point, kind of it, it's it, it, it basically illustrates that like we always look for one reason why something changes or something big happens, and usually it's it's a combination of a lot of things. I definitely think that's it. I also don't think that the arm strength was that was ever quite as bad as as it had been portrayed. I will say this: I think the thing that he needs to be spot on with and this is you know i don't know if we talked about this last time but i'm a big saints fan and you know with with drew Brees, watching him over the years man the last three years his arm fell off a cliff and and teams played the saints to where they knew that he couldn't throw deep anymore but even before that i mean you're talking about a guy that had a massive shoulder injury there's a reason why the dolphins didn't bring him in but he was still able to hit deep shots and it wasn't because he had the strongest arm in the league he had a strong enough arm but it was because his timing was ridiculous. I mean, he just had this sixth sense of when to get the ball deep, where it needed to go to, whether it was Marcus Colston or Devery Henderson or Robert Meacham, or later on at Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas wasn't just running slants um, back in 2016. Like, And so I think with Tua, what often looked like a deep ball that, that was a lack of arm strength, I, I think a lot of times it's, the timing wasn't there and and he has to release the ball sooner than patrick mahomes he has to release the ball sooner than josh allen no he's never going to have the arm that those guys have and that's okay his arm is good enough um you know i is 
I think you can go throughout history and find plenty of quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls with an arm that was good enough. Um, and so I, I think with him, what we've seen is, yes, I, I think the hip is better. I think he feels stronger. I think more importantly, he feels more confident, not just in his body, but also with his command of the offense. He even said that that ball, against, ball to Tyree Kill the other night wasn't where he wanted it. And yet, I, I remember this distinctly when the trade for Tyree Kill was made. I mean, at least start going back and pulling video, uh, you know, from from Tyreek Hill with the Chiefs, because I mean, we got to quickly put stuff on the air and then get ready for our Sunday night show that week. I mean, there are a lot of balls where Tyreek Hill's having to come back and and catch the ball from Patrick Mahomes. The guy's just really, 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 really fast. And I thought it was interesting that um, Tavon Wallace over the weekend said, "Man, that guy, that's a different type of speed. I've never seen anybody that fast in my entire life." So all that to say. Tua's arm is strong enough if he gets the ball out on time, on target, and he hit, he makes the right read and gets the ball to the guy that needs to get it to. Um, he does not have the margin for error that your your Aaron Rodgers, your, your Mahomes, your Allens, your Justin Herberts do. But in this offense, he has, he has the ability to be closer to perfect than he's ever been because they're finally putting him in a position to succeed. And I know we'll get into this. A big part of that is creating a running game. And I thought that was a lot of what we saw the other night. Look, you're going up against the, the Eagles' backups. And yet, the fact that you were able to run the ball so effectively was able to make things really, really easy for Tua in the passing game. It wasn't just Tua, it was Skylar Thompson later on. So, you know, I, I think all of those things are going to make it to where Tua's arm strength, if this offense runs as it's supposed to, it's, it's going to be a non-factor. If he puts the ball where it needs to be placed, I, I don't think people are going to be going to be crying over his arm strike. Yeah, and I think Tua's more confident because he's got a coach that believes in him. You know, yep. um, he had a big lot of issues. Of with, yeah, a big issue with Brian Flores. Brian Flores also having multiple offensive coordinators I don't think helped Tua either because you have basically too many Chiefs and, and, and uh, too many Chiefs and not enough Indians, you know, so on in, in that regard. Uh, in, regards to, in regards to the running game, um, I think it will help out a lot. It will definitely help out a lot. They've invested in the offensive line. You know, they've invested. I love Chase Edmonds. I liked him when he was out in Arizona. You know, bringing yep. Moser is, is, is going to make it more effective. Um, for the audience out there that may not understand the dynamic of a solid running game because we have a more pass-oriented league now, how much of a difference is the running game going to make, you know, in terms of creating more efficiency for Tua? You're talking about uh, numbers in the box. I, I mean, it's, you know, if, if a defense has to commit more players or – Man, we talk about the speed of not just Tyree Kill, but Jalen Waddle. If you talk about safeties and 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 linebackers that just have to pause for a split second because they're waiting to to see what they have to do. And by the way, I thought Tua said something really interesting the other night that you know if you if you listen to how he put it, it should kind of put a light bulb off in your head. He said, "What our offensive linemen have worked really hard with is forcing defenses to read keys that aren't there." In other words you do things to make the defense think that you're going to run after you've successfully run the ball. So all of a sudden they're on their heels. And by the way, it's not just the linebackers and safeties. It's also the defensive linemen. Like they can't pin their ears back if you're in second and four, third and two, and you're going play action. So what Tua said is our offensive linemen have worked really hard to try to put keys out there that the defense will misread and they think that we're going to run the ball. Well, all of a sudden, man, that's that's all the time that you need for Tyreek Hill to blow by something. That's all the time that you need for Jalen Waddle to, to beat somebody off the line of scrimmage. 
all of a sudden you hit him with a 12 yard pass, it turns into a 60 yard gain. So it's, it's vital, not just for like opening up those, those small levels of separation for the receivers, not just the line, but also down the field, but also for, for Tua to, to have more time to do what he needs to do. Because if those defensive linemen are having to pause for even a split second before they get their momentum and start to go at him, that's all the time that you need if you're, if you're an NFL quarterback. So it's vital and something that he hasn't had. I mean, this since Tua has been in the NFL and, and honestly for, I mean, ever since, uh, you know, we go back to, um, I'm blanking on the, who was the Dolphins running back under Adam Gase that had the three 200 yard games. Uh, Ajayi. Um, from, yeah, yeah, from, from uh, Ajayi, Jay Ajayi. Uh, Ajayi, sorry. I mean, when was the last time that they had a consistent running game? And so, and by the way, Ryan Tannehill looked pretty good when he was healthy that year, yeah. especially towards the end before. So it's not a coincidence, man. When you got the offensive line and you got the, the running game working, it just makes the job so much easier for a quarterback because the defense doesn't know what's coming and they can't tee off on either the receiver or the quarterback. Yeah, and absolutely, I completely agree with you. And uh, I, I think also lots of like the fact that Dolphins do have this year as a fullback, you know, which uh, many people have said is an obsolete position in the NFL. We actually have a fullback, you know, that uh, this could be utilized as part of the offense. And the 49er, the 49er offense was very efficient in terms of the of running the football as well. You know, so it's a good thing he's bringing here. I think, like I said, it'll help to uh, create more uh, efficient passing situations for the Dolphins quarterback. Also, what helps, and we'll move on to Mike Gusecki. Uh, also, what helps is the fact that Tyreek Hill is not just a speed guy. He's also a guy that he could juke you. So, he'll mm -hmm. catch a five-yard slant, and if you're out of position, he's gone. So, I think that also yep. helps uh um uh Tavilo in immense fashion all right so um you know you're you're on hawk and crowder quite a bit you know i love listening to hawk and crowder you know it's it's a fun show the dynamic between those two is it's hilarious let's not uh, forget solana you know solana is also yeah they're, uh, great. they're great yeah they're, fa they're fantastic but um you had a you had a a very interesting take on mike Asecki and the whole trade rumors um can you explain to the audience in terms of of what uh what you uh, what was said, you know, what what you think should happen to Gasecki in terms of the trade, and then I'll piggyback on what you on what you said, and we'll go have a little back and forth. So, just that if you're going to play him as a tight end, he's a tell. Like you are not going to run the football if Mike Gasecki is lined up as a tight end at this point because it's a lost play. And you know, we talk about the San Francisco offense. Nobody has George Kittle except for San Francisco. There is no there is no more complete tight end in the NFL. Somebody who is so dynamic as a pass catcher but also just a ridiculous blocker and yet he was a major reason why their offense was so efficient running the football him and Kyle Juszczyk by the way two guys who are dynamic both in the passing game and also in the running game you you need to be able to have a tight end who can get out there and and seal and do things the right way so that you know life is easy in this running game and this is this Kyle Shanahan type offense, which it certainly appears Mike McDaniel is is bringing over, man, it is go up, read, go, and you know you you find the hole and you try to you try to take advantage, get as many yards as you can out of that. Well, if you have a, a tight end out there who can't block at all, it's difficult. So if that's the case, you can't put him out there as a tight end. Really, the only place that I think he he would be effective is basically if you're putting him as a receiver in the red zone. And there's a value to that. I mean, by no means are you are you dismissing the value and having somebody who can go up and catch touchdowns. And yet, is it a $10 million value? And so I think that's the tricky part is, essentially, he's, he can't be a tight end in this offense. And if you're going to make him a receiver, you are either waiting to get in the red zone 
or you're taking a ball away that you would otherwise try to find Tyree Kill with, a ball that you would otherwise try to find Jalen Waddle with. And so I, I think with this team, it's you have so many guys who are so explosive and look as good and athletic as Mike Gesicki is. He's fantastic for somebody his size. He's not athletic to the level that Jalen Waddle is. He's not athletic to the way that that Tyree Kill is in that they can make those those huge huge explosive plays playing and play out. I think he he brings a ton of value. I don't think his value is as high to the Miami Dolphins as it would be to a lot of other teams in the league. And that's where I think the idea that he could be on on the trade trade market makes a lot of sense because other teams would value him at a higher level because they would need that chess piece more than the Miami Dolphins do because not a whole lot of teams have a Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddle. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I just think that Mike Gusecki is a freakish talent. You know, as far as the pass catching as pass catching tight end goes, and I just think that when you need someone to go down the middle of the field, and so on in terms of drag routes and, and so on, I think that Kaseki would be your guy. The one-handed catches, um, are, you know, are astounding. He catches, he does it in traffic. You're, you talk, you just talked about the red zone situation and so on. So I just think that you have to find a way to keep him and find a way to utilize him in a way and if, you know, that makes him, you know, more uh, more efficient in the offense. That's just my take. Because Zerm Smythe is a good pass blocking. He's a good pass blocker, but as far as offense goes, he's nowhere near the skill of Gasecki, you know, and a lot of teams now they have a skilled tight end. You know, you have, you know, you have, you know, Kyle Pitts over in Atlanta, you have Gasecki with the Dolphins, as well. You have Kelsey over with the with the Chiefs. So the, the tight end has become, especially as a receiver, has become a very important uh position in the NFL, especially in the pass catching format, you know, that um that we have today. So that's just my take. I wouldn't trade him. I try to, unless you get like a high pick because he's still also very young. You know, you're getting a guy that's uh, 25, 26 years old and his numbers that, you know, last year were, were pretty, were pretty, were pretty, he should have more touchdowns, but they were pretty gaudy, you know, with 73 catches, 780 yards with two touchdowns. So I think you have to find a way to make it work, you know, uh, for, for so, the so here's the issue with, here's the issue with bringing up the teams that you brought up. You brought up Kansas City. Well, that's a team that, had Travis Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill and receivers beyond that, there's a reason why they felt the need to go out and get somebody once they traded Tyreek Hill, because they don't have the level of pass catchers. There's a good friend of mine, one of our photographers, who's a huge Chiefs fan. And basically as crazy as it sounds, they didn't have enough weapons. And so they had to let Tyreek Hill go because they have a quarterback who's on a massive contract, unlike the Dolphins, who have a quarterback on a rookie contract. They had to let him go because they couldn't afford to have Travis Kelsey. Um, you, know, you go out and get Marcus Valdez Scantling. That's you had the downgrade from Tyree Kill to Valdez Scantling because it's a salary cap league, and you don't have. You needed to have another weapon there, um, and you don't have enough. Fo- you, you you the Dolphins don't have enough footballs to go around. You bring up the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons are a bad team. I mean, terrible offensive team, um, and you know Kyle Pitts was their most dynamic pass catcher last year by far. They didn't have the other weapons. And Calvin Ridley gets gets kicked out of the league, basically. And they feel like they have to go and draft a receiver because they don't have enough weapons. The common theme here is not enough weapons. Not enough weapons. Dolphins have enough weapons. They have more than enough weapons. And I'll say this, Eric Uzukama has been a bad man out there. And it's not, I, I mean, he pops, he flashes every time you see him. Uh, Trent Sherfield is somebody who he's he's going to be the gunner, but then he he just seems to have this chemistry with Tua. So I think it's one of those where and look, you look at they, they cut down to fifty three today. 
Gasicki's still on the team, and they only kept five other receivers. So to me, that says either they're going to try to stash Craycraft and or Sanders on the practice squad, or they're going to have Mike Gasicki play receiver. And, and you know, they kept, what, a thousand tight ends on the right. They don't view Mike Gasicki as a tight end, and that's okay. I don't think many teams in the league do. Now, what you then have to ask yourself is, is it more valuable to pay him $10 million this year to basically be a red zone threat or try to get something compensation-wise for him? And in a league where salary cap space rolls over, it's not just $10 million on this year's cap, it's potentially on next year's. So there are all these things. I don't deny he's a very good player and has a very good skill set. But when you look at, at the the teams that you mentioned, I mean, the other uh, other great pass catching tight, Mark Andrews. I mean, who else is your receiver in Baltimore? I mean, yeah. Hollywood Brown is 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 good. so it's um you know it, it's when you don't have enough weapons, that player becomes more important. When you have enough weapons, like the Dolphins finally do for the first time, and who knows how long, all of a sudden the importance of a player like that erodes a bit, and that's when you start to to look around. Okay. All right. Uh, you, uh, you made some good points and so on. I, I, I get it. Okay. I get it. You know, but yeah, but I mean, he's, he is a talent, but you're right. I'm just afraid. No like, I no don't, but, I, I mean, uh, you mentioned these other guys and it's true. I just don't want to see Jalen Waddle run down the middle of the field and face linebackers. That's my only thing. But yeah, but you brought up a good point that they have enough uh, receivers oh, out there. I, if you get Jalen Waddle on a linebacker, I think you're celebrating six. I think you're pretty <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> that's, but, but that's the thing. It's like, I don't think the Dolphins are thinking, oh, we need somebody to get us third and five. We need somebody who on second and eight is going to go seven. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and right. so I, 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 that again, there is a, there is absolutely a lot of skill uh, with what Gasicki brings. Um, and yet, man, I, I think, and I'll, I'll go back to, um, again, I mentioned I'm a Saints fan. I remember when the Saints played the 49ers 20, 2019, it was 2019. And Sean Payton came out after the game, and they lost that game. It was a game where George Kittle went crazy at the end of the game. And he said, I was on the field before the game, and I could not believe the speed that I saw on the field for San Francisco. It was jarring. And, man, that's what the Dolphins have now. Like, I mean, Mostert is ridiculously fast. Jalen Waddell is ridiculously fast. Tyree Kill is, like, not human fast. I mean, so – that's the type of offense that I think they're they're trying to bring. It's this explosive big play. And, um, you know, again, all, all this may be a moot point because as we stand right now, Gasicki's a receiver on this roster. And uh, I that may they may ultimately decide to pivot and say we're going to use him uh, as opposed to putting him out there as a tight end, letting the whole world know that we're going to run the ball. Maybe we'll use him more like the Saints used to use Jimmy Graham and and you know, line them up out wide and, and do it like that so um yeah it's 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 a debate it's a fun one and yeah i can kind of see either either side of it hello miami this is 305 sports now your home podcast and channel for all things Miami sports related. I am Will, and I'd like to welcome back a special friend to the show, Local 10's news anchor, actually sports anchor, uh, Mr. Clay Ferraro. Clay, how's it going? It is going well, my friend. I know you are uh, getting back in the swing of school just like I am. So, uh, you know, between 
having a wife who's teaching nonstop and trying to, you know, satisfy everything she needs to do with with her kids and her class. And, you know, I'm, I'm being uh, Mr. Mom at home as much as I can. So, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to strike that balance while still getting ready for the football season and also the Miami Heat season. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're trying to juggle a bunch of different balls at the same time, but doing it the best we can. Yeah, the, the, the transition process is, isn't a, isn't very easy. I'm doing the same exact thing. You know, I have my, my son here at home as well, who's been sick. So it's been very, it's been very challenging these last couple of days. All right, but so I'll get to it. You know, I'll get to it because I, I know you, I know you want to be with your daughters and so on. Um, so what we're gonna break down today is pretty much is some can, some canes and some dolphins. All right. Uh, as far as the canes go and so on, last year, you know, they had offensively they averaged 34 points a game. We saw the ascension of Tyler Van Dyke. We saw the six straight games of 300 yards passing and and whatnot. In comes Mario Cristobal and so on, who people expect he's going to be more of a run-oriented type of coach in comparison to Manny Diaz, who wanted a more cutting-edge, exploding, exploded offense. Through your sources and so on, uh, have you heard of anything in particular that uh, we should be expecting from the Canes this year? No, I, I mean, I, I think that I've been of the belief that especially because the ACC is so down, that you know, we, when you're bringing in the best quarterback in the conference, and, and I think by a decent amount, and you've got a lot of talent on that team, I, I think they should do really well. Now, I will say that the depth is going to be tested. And, and look, Mario Cristobal has done a fantastic job since he got to South Florida in recruiting, especially for future classes. But, you know, I, I mean, there was still a depth issue going into the season. And so, you know, obviously, like so many teams, it's going to be predicated on our, can you keep your starters healthy? And, and thankfully, Ozia Nelson comes back on uh, you know recording this on Tuesday, he came back today. So you know that sort of thing I think is going to be really important that they've got as much of their quality starters ready to roll and and stay healthy as long as possible. Uh, perhaps more than than in in years to come when they would hopefully be able to fill the the roster with high quality players from top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that that Chris Paul's done is he's tried building depth because he also doesn't want his players become complacent you know in terms mm -hmm. of the team itself so having basically the next man up you know mentality and 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 having a solid bench like for example uh the defense this year is set to be a lot better than it was, than it was last year because one thing that crystal ball did is that he built up the, the, the defensive line you know bring mm -hmm. in you know transfer portal guys like lichtenstein from out of usc akeem mesador over at uh out of west virginia as well cornerbacks as well like Derek porter daryl porter you know over from west virginia as well so mm -hmm. that is the number one priority as far as as player personnel goes for Mario, and you just mentioned the offensive line, Zion Nelson, you know, uh, the way Mario Cristobal's recruited the offensive line this season for the 2023 class, he might have a an offensive line group that could rival, on paper, could rival the future of, of what was the, the 2001 class that was just absolutely dominant based upon, you know, what he wants to build from the old Canes to what he learned out of Alabama. Well, and this is what we've always said about the University of Miami is you're not going to have a problem finding skill guys. And and look, it's you do want to get back to where you are beating Alabama and Ohio State and and USC and and you know the the big the big schools for the best skill players and and the five star type guys. And yet you're always going to have enough if you recruit properly at the skill spots because even the the three star recruit from a South Florida school that may not get the major offers, um, you know, you're going to still be able to put a quality player on the field if you fill out the depth properly. 
the lines are key and, and they've been key. And, and unfortunately, that's been a major problem for UM for a long time. Nobody knows that better than Mario. And it's not it's not a coincidence that you see him out there working with the offensive line, frankly, more than any head coach I've ever seen. Um, now, obviously, that's where his heart is. Uh, and yet I also think that you know there's there's a necessity to that like he he has a way that he wants offensive linemen to play and yeah he was an o-lineman and yeah that's his heart but it also means he know he knows how the position should be played and if he's able to get that fixed and you already got the quarterback and tyler van dyke and obviously the recruiting very very well and bringing in another qb so like you can see the vision for where the floor and the ceiling for this program are raised so much simply by improving the offensive line. And once you do that, everything else is going to follow. Yeah, in terms of the offensive line, um, that's one thing that Mario has really greatly emphasized on because, like I said, you know, he likes the idea of depth. Um, from your experience covering, you know, teams in general, not just like the Canes, but the Dolphins, transitioning from a from a more of a finesse line to a more physical line in general. Uh, I covered the Kings last year. Last year's line was a bit more finesse. Do you think it will be a difficult mm -hmm. transition once game time starts? Or do you think that this line, because generally from what I heard, offensive linemen love to run block more than pass protect. Do you think uh, that this team will pick it up rather quickly? You hope so. And, and you, you know, you just don't know until they get out there and they play. It's We could sit here and give, hey, well, you know, in, in my experience, I think that being able to go out there and, and smash the guy in front of you as opposed to taking a bucket step and dropping back and all that. Like you can put all that out there, but so much of O-line play, and you know this, is uh, how how well are you in sync with the guy next to you? And how well do you know the protection calls? I mean, how many times have we seen when an offensive line gets beat, it's, I would say more often, not because the defensive guy who beats him is so much better than the offensive guy. A lot of times it's missed assignments. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there there are fewer opportunities for, for missed assignments that lead to bad big plays like sacks and fumbles and things like that um, when you're running the ball more. And yet you do have to get to a point where everybody's comfortable with that because, you know, you don't want to put yourself in those third and long situations because then the same sort of thing happens. You're still in a situation where you're having to pass and you don't want to. The other team knows you're passing and then you get back to not knowing your assignment. So, I mean, theoretically, yeah, you could see a world where because you're you're getting out there and being more of a power based attack that the offensive linemen love it. And, and you know, maybe you don't have quite as as many of the, the the negative plays on first and second down and yet you still got to do it right or else you're yeah you know maybe you're in third and eight third and nine you still have issues with that um so i look i i'm optimistic with everything i've heard i do think that it's a process and we're not going to know just how far along in the process they are and look give credit to mario because he hasn't sugarcoated this thing i mean he's come out and he said we're not where we need to be and and I, I don't think that's coach speak. I think it's, hey, this is going to be a process where we are transitioning and we may have talented players and we have a vision for how to get there, but these are still college players. And you're not out there nonstop like like NFL teams are in the offseason where you can work hands-on with these guys. And obviously in the NFL, it's not, you know, mini camps and stuff like that. It's not full pads all the time. and going. But man, you get out there and get the mental reps, it takes time. And so I, I, I think that, Theoretically, yeah, the, the transition should be easier than if you were going from the other to the other, going from the power style to the, the finesse style. And yet we just won't know until they 
line it up not just against Bethune, but then you get to the next couple of weeks after that, and especially A and M, I think we'll have a better idea. Yeah, I think A and M is gonna be the ultimate test for the Canes, and uh, yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of uh, fans that are, that you know listen to this channel, they don't think A and M is that good, but I do think that Miami hasn't been these great teams either, you know, uh, the last few years. So I think A and M is an ultimate test. First of all, let's, let's not forget that Jimbo Fisher also had the top recruiting class in the country, actually on record. So I, the A and M will definitely be better. The only thing I give Miami a definite advantage over A and M is the quarterback situation. Tyler Van Dyke yep. is much better than their quarterback that they have right now in A and M. Speaking of Tyler Van Dyke and Mario Cristobal. Um, we talked about how 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 coach has been very honest about his assessment of the team heading into practice and heading into game one. Um, also, the standard in terms of practice and discipline has also increased. And we've actually heard that from the players as well, you know, as far as TBD and even Jafari Harvey has made uh, has made um, comments like that um, in terms of of the standard, you know, that Mario brings to the table. He was the same way at FIU. He comes from the Alabama Nick Saban coaching tree. Um, is it, is it, do you think it's difficult for some of these players, uh, to reach that kind of a standard? Cause Mario is always going to want perfection. It's very difficult to have perfection. What do you think about that? Well, you better, and, and you better find a way to reach that or else you're going to have other players coming in to take your spot. And, you know, I, I you don't want to run this thing. And this is what's interesting. And, and I kind of got this vibe being out there, just asking some people, around the program, just asking them what it's like. And, you know, I got there and you, know, you get there for practice one day and after practice, you got all, all uh, you know, coaches and uh, with their families hanging out and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you know, it's it's this chill laid back, but no, not at all. And so what I think Mario is doing, and this gets back to your question, he understands that you have to build a solid relationship and let these guys know that you care about them. So that when you go out there and you bust their rear end and you get onto them, they know that it's coming from the right place. And they also know that, man, we're all pulling in the same direction. We're all out here to win. And he he establishes this, this relationship, this bond, this look, it's, it's us against the world. But in order to win in this us against the world, I gotta have you be better than the best that you've seen so far, that we've seen so far out of you. So look, I, is it is it difficult? I'm sure for, for some players it is. I'm sure for some players it's refreshing especially if, if it's the type of player who has felt like maybe others haven't been, been trying quite as hard as they need to, to finally have somebody come in and hold them accountable. So I, I think that if you're going to be the best that you can be as a program, you need somebody doing that. And you need to have somebody, by the way, that does it the right way, or else you just have somebody screaming into a vacuum. Like if you can't come in, and I somebody made this comment about Jim Harbaugh years ago, and this is before he... He went to the 49ers from from Stanford. They said, you know, uh, the thing that's great about Jim Harbaugh is by the time his college players are tired of him, they graduate. Whereas in the NFL, <laughs> the players have to stick with him. And so I, I think there's a difference between just being hard on players to the point where you you grind on them and they're just ready to get away from you, and doing what it appears that Mario is trying to do, which is you establish this relationship and let them know you care about them. You let them know you care about their families, that your family cares about them and their families. And and so then when you yell at them, they take it the right way. And so I think he's trying to do that. I think hopefully that most players are taking that the right way. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if after this year, you have a mass exodus via the transfer portal by players who uh, aren't performing up to expectations. And then when they're worked hard, 
they don't want to do it. And that's kind of the natural progression with the turnover when you have a new coaching staff come in like this. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure for some players it's hard. And frankly, I think for a lot of those players, it'll be their one and only year under Coach Cristobal. They'll, they'll find somewhere else to go. Yeah, we'll see how this year goes. Uh, so far from what I've heard, the players have bought in, you know, because you had guys like DJ Ivey's come, has come back. He could have gone to the NFL, he's taking a chance. Mm-hmm. He's back. Gilbert Frierson's back. You know, uh, they, you know, Jake Garcia didn't, didn't hit the transfer portal, you know. Uh, so I think from what I've heard, some of the players have bought. We'll see how the season goes. And, you know, and if when tough times hit, how these players react to a, a, like a beating from Cristobal, because he doesn't take anything from, from the players. But as of right now, from what I've heard, the players have bought in. So I think that's a that's a positive, you know, as far as the program goes. Because I mean, not to not to not to criticize the former coaching staff, but they felt like there wasn't accountability. To give an example, um, the, uh, I forgot his name. You know, uh, the, the the previous the previous quarterback, um, the one out of Georgia, the one that lost the FIU game. He was out partying the night before. And oh, Jaron Williams. Thank you, Jaron Williams. Yes, you know, yeah. and it showed in his performance against FIU, and he wasn't suspended. You know, and that's something. And I hadn't that, even heard about that. Yeah, he was up partying the night before, and coach is just not gonna, coach is not gonna tolerate that. You know, in particular, so so that it's good to see accountability. It's the way the old school Canes were. You know, I uh, I uh, saw uh, Leon Searcy, the former right tackle for the University of Miami, and you know, a multi-time Pro Bowler when he was at uh, at uh, with the Steelers and also with the Jaguars. And he said the one thing that Jimmy Johnson always said: "You guys can celebrate, but don't cause penalties." You mm-hmm. know, and so mm-hmm. discipline was was the number one factor that made those those Canes great. And Chris Ball was part of that of those championships so i think that's uh that he's just tra- he's just translating that over uh to this team as well you know so. well and you saw him come in and, and for one of the first things he does he gets rid of the turnover chain and yeah. like i i was somebody i like the turnover chain when it was implemented and yet i i i fully understand the idea that number one it, it probably ran its course yeah. and number two what mario was trying to let these guys know is that the work has to come before the flash and I think there was there was a sense when the turnover team came out, it was that 20 was 2016, 2017 team, 2017, 2017. Um, that, that was so good, went to the ACC title game. And you had a lot of veterans on that team that had kind of earned the right to have the turnover chain. And it became this thing. And that team was very, very good. And and yet I think what's lost is that the turnover chain became something that was just like kind of expected every year. And what I think Mario is trying to do is get these guys to understand once again, I don't think he's going to bring back the turnover chain, but like you can't have this like flash waiting for you. And it's a bad look when you're down 40 to seven and breaking out that like you have to put in the work on the field at Green Tree at the at the sofa and you have to be ready to rock. And then, yeah, then you celebrate and do all that sort of stuff. But I mean, that's the type of mentality that he's trying to instill. You're right. Not just the, you know, the discipline, the lack of penalties, things like that. But you got to work hard and the hard work has to come before the the celebration and and the the spoils and something that nick saban says that i i think is spot on you know nick saban comes off as just being cranky and um but one thing he always says and you see it with him like when he's leading his players out of the tunnel he'll say i worked them so hard during the week that the game should be fun and so if you're mario cristobal you worked them so hard in the spring you were working so hard in the fall you made sure they were working so hard in the weight room strength and conditioning to where hopefully saturday is fun and not just this saturday but hopefully a lot of saturdays this fall if you're a games fan yeah going back to the chain for, for about a, a split second 
I actually liked the chain when it first came out. I uh, my wife gave me a, a t-shirt of the chain as well, so I used to I used to wear it when I used to go to games. But it, it did get stale, you know. When you're ten and zero and you're beating Notre Dame and you're beating FSU, you know that that chain that chain looks good. But when you're losing Alabama by by basically by twenty five points and you break yep. out the chain, it looks bad. You know, it looks yep. more like a, like an individual accolade more so than a team accolade. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that chain I think the chain needed to be retired. You know, you know, with this coaching staff, and you need to start fresh. You know, with a new mentality, new mindset, and so on. Um, okay, so we, we're done with the Canes a little bit. Uh, we'll go into the Dolphins. This is uh, where you where you and I are gonna have a little bit of fun. All right. Uh, listen, I have criticized Tua, you know, on on the air several times. You know, it's 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 hard because um, when you look at the guy, speaking of Green Tree, when you look at the guy that plays on Saturdays, you know, TVD, and he throws a deep ball, he makes it look so easy. The first couple of years of Tua throwing a deep ball. It looked like he was throwing a shot put, you know. So it's hmm. uh, yeah, it's 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 just a little bit um difficult, you know, to look at, you know, it's it's not fair for Tua, you know, compare him, you know, to Mahomes or TVD or, or anything, but it is what it is, you know. He, his arm strength has, has been a question uh, of many scouts, of many pundits and the of NFL analysts. He's looked decent in practice. Now he's looked decent in practice, and although that some guys on ESPN who just like to talk. You know, have said that uh, that oh, you know, he underthrew Tyreek Hill in the last preseason game. Mind you, it's still a 55-yard pass. All right, that's not mm-hmm. a, that's not an easy that's not an easy pass to throw. Most of us can't throw past 35 yards. Okay, um, yep. Tua had a very bad injury. Is this a result? His arms looks a little better. We saw a 65-yard pass in practice that went viral. Uh, is this a result that maybe his hips healing, so he's able to push more off the ball? Uh, what do you think about that? I, I think it's a combination of everything, and you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point, kind of it, it's it, it, it basically illustrates that like we always look for one reason why something changes or something big happens, and usually it's it's a combination of a lot of things. I definitely think that's it. I also don't think that the arm strength was ever quite as bad as as it had been portrayed. I will say this: I think the thing that he needs to be spot on with and this is you know i don't know if we talked about this last time but i'm a big saints fan and you know with with drew Brees, watching him over the years man the last three years his arm fell off a cliff and and teams played the saints to where they knew that he couldn't throw deep anymore but even before that i mean you're talking about a guy that had a massive shoulder injury there's a reason why the dolphins didn't bring him in but he was still able to hit deep shots and it wasn't because he had the strongest arm in the league he has strong enough arm but it was because his timing was ridiculous. I mean, he just had this sixth sense of when to get the ball deep, where it needed to go to, whether it was Marcus Colston or Devery Henderson or Robert Meacham, or later on at Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas wasn't just running slants um, back in 2016. Like, and so I think with Tua, what often looked like a deep ball that, that was a lack of arm strength, I, I think a lot of times it's, the timing wasn't there and and he has to release the ball sooner than patrick mahomes he has to release the ball sooner than josh allen no he's never going to have the arm that those guys have and that's okay his arm is good enough um you know i is i think you can go throughout history and find plenty of quarterbacks who have won super bowls with an arm that was good enough um and so i, I think with him what we've seen is Yes, I, I think the hip is better. I think he feels stronger. I think more importantly, he feels more confident, not just in his body, but also with his command of the offense. He even said that that ball against ball to Tyree Kill the other night wasn't where he wanted it. And yet, I, I remember this distinctly when the trade for Tyree Kill was made. 
immediately start going back and pulling video, uh, you know, from from Tyreek Hill with the Chiefs, because, I mean, we got to quickly put stuff on the air and then get ready for our Sunday night show that week. I mean, there are a lot of balls where Tyreek Hill's having to come back and and catch the ball from Patrick Mahomes. The guy's just really, 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 really fast. And I thought it was interesting that um, Tavon Wallace over the weekend said, man, that guy, that's a different type of speed. I've never seen anybody that fast in my entire life. So all that to say, Tua's arm is strong enough. If he gets the ball out on time, on target, and he hit, he makes the right read and gets the ball to the guy that needs to get it to. Um, he does not have the margin for error that your your Aaron Rodgers, your your Mahomes, your Allens, your Justin Herberts do. But in this offense, he has he has the ability to be closer to perfect than he's ever been because they're finally putting him in a position to succeed. And I know we'll get into this. A big part of that is creating a running game. And I thought that was a lot of what we saw the other night. Look, you're going up against the the Eagles backups. And yet the fact that you were able to run the ball so effectively was able to make things really, really easy for Tua in the passing game. It wasn't just Tua, it was Skylar Thompson later on. So, you know, I, I think all of those things are going to make it to where Tua's arm strength, if this offense runs as it's supposed to, it's it's going to be a non-factor. If he puts the ball where it needs to be placed, I, I don't think people are going to be going to be crying over his arm strength. Yeah, and I think Tua's more confident because he's got a coach that believes in him. You know, yep. um, he had a lot of issues. Of of, yeah, a big issue with Brian Flores. Brian Flores also having multiple offensive coordinators, I don't think helped Tua either because you have basically too many Chiefs and, and, and uh, too many Chiefs and not enough Indians, you know, so on in, in that regard. Uh, in regards to in regards to the running game, um, I think it will help out a lot. It will definitely help out a lot. They've invested in the offensive line. You know, they've invested. I love Chase Edmonds. I liked him when he was out in Arizona. You know, bringing yep. Moser is, is, is going to make it more effective. Um, for the audience out there that may not understand the dynamic of a solid running game because we have a more pass-oriented league now, how much of a difference is the running game going to make, you know, in terms of creating more efficiency for Tua? You're talking about uh, numbers in the box. I, I mean, it's, you know, if, if a defense has to commit more players or, man, we talk about the speed of not just Tyree Kill, but Jalen Waddle. If you talk about safeties and, 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 and linebackers that just have to pause for a split second, because they're waiting to, to see what they have to do. And by the way, I thought Tua said something really interesting the other night that, you know, if you if you listen to how he put it, it should kind of put a light bulb off in your head. He said, what our offensive linemen have worked really hard with is forcing defenses to read keys that aren't there. In other words, you do things to make the defense think that you're going to run after you've successfully run the ball. So all of a sudden, they're on their heels. And by the way, it's not just the linebackers and safeties. It's also the defensive linemen. Like, they can't pin their ears back if you're in second and four, third and two, and you're going play action. So what Tua said is, our offensive linemen have worked really hard to try to put keys out there that the defense will misread. And they think that we're going to run the ball. Well, all of a sudden, man, that's that's all the time that you need for Tyreek Hill to blow by something. That's all the time that you need for Jalen Waddle to to beat somebody off the line of scrimmage. All of a sudden, you hit him with a 12-yard pass, it turns into a 60-yard game. So it's it's vital not just for like opening up those those small levels of separation for the receivers, not just the line, but also down the field, but also for for Tua to to have more time to do what he needs to do. Because if those defensive linemen are having to pause for even a split second before they get their momentum and start to go at him. That's all the time that you need if you're if you're an NFL quarterback. So it's vital and something that he hasn't had 
I mean, this since two has been in the NFL, and and honestly, for I mean, ever since uh, you know we go back to um, I'm blanking on the, who was the Dolphins running back under Adam Gase that had the three 200 yard games. Uh, a die. Um, from yeah, yeah, from from uh, Ajay, Jay Ajay. Uh, Ajay, State. sorry. I mean, when was the last time that they had a consistent running game? And so, and by the way, Ryan Tannehill looked pretty good when he was healthy that year, yeah. especially towards the end before. So it's not a coincidence, man. When you got the offensive line and you got the the running game working, it just makes the job so much easier for a quarterback because the defense doesn't know what's coming and they can't tee off on either the receiver or the quarterback. Yeah, and absolutely, I completely agree with you. And uh, I, I think also lots of like the fact that Dolphins do have this year's a fullback, you know, which uh, many people have said is an obsolete position in the NFL. We actually have a fullback, you know, that uh, this could be utilized as part of the offense. And the 49er, the 49er offense was very efficient in terms of the of running the football as well. You know, so it's a good thing he's bringing here. I think, like I said, it'll help to uh, it'll create more uh, efficient passing situations for the Dolphins quarterback. Also, what helps, and we'll move on to Mike Gusecki. Uh, also, what helps is the fact that Tyreek Hill is not just a speed guy. He's also a guy that he could juke you. So he'll mm -hmm. catch a five-yard slant, and if you're out of position, he's gone. So I think that also yep. helps uh, um, uh, to a Tagovailoa in immense fashion. All right, so um, you know you're you're on Hawk and Crowder quite a bit. You know I love listening to Hawk and Crowder. You know it's it's a fun show. The dynamic between those two is is hilarious. Let's not uh, forget Solana. You know Solana is also yeah they're, uh, great. they're great. Yeah they're fa they're fantastic. But um, you had a you had a a very interesting take on Mike Gusecki and the whole trade rumors. Um, can you explain to the audience in terms of of what uh what you uh what was said you know what, what you think should happen to Gusecki in terms of the trade and then I'll piggyback on what you on what you said and we'll go have a little back and forth. So just that if you're going to play him as a tight end, he's a tell. Like you are not going to run the football if Mike Gusecki is lined up as a tight end at this point because it's a lost play and. You know, we talk about the San Francisco offense. Nobody has George Kittle except for San Francisco. There is no, there is no more complete tight end in the NFL. Somebody who is so dynamic as a pass catcher, but also just a ridiculous blocker. And yet, he was a major reason why their offense was so efficient running the football. Him and Kyle Juszczyk, by the way, two guys who are dynamic both in the passing game and also in the running game. You, you need to be able to have a tight end who can get out there and and seal and do things the right way so that you know life is easy in this running game and this is this kyle shanahan type offense which it certainly appears mike mcdaniel is is bringing over man it is go up read go and you know you you find the hole and you try to you try to take advantage get as many yards as you can out of that well if you have a, a tight end out there who can't block at all it's difficult so if that's the case you can't put him out there as a tight end really the only place that i think he he would be effective is basically if you're putting him as a receiver in the red zone and there's a value to that i mean by no means are you are you dismissing the value and having somebody who can go up and catch touchdowns and yet is it a 10 million dollar value and so i think that's the tricky part is essentially he's he can't be a tight end in this offense and if you're going to make him a receiver you are either waiting to get in the red zone or you're taking a ball away that you would otherwise try to find Tyree Kill with, a ball that you would otherwise try to find Jalen Waddle with. And I, I think with this team, it's you have so many guys who are so explosive and look as good and athletic as Mike Gesicki is. He's fantastic for somebody his size. He's not athletic to the level that Jalen Waddle is. He's not athletic to the way that that Tyree Kill is in that they can make those those huge huge explosive plays playing and play out. I think he he brings a ton of value. 
I don't think his value is as high to the Miami Dolphins as it would be to a lot of other teams in the league. And that's where I think the idea that he could be on on the trade trade market makes a lot of sense because other teams would value him at a higher level because they would need that chess piece more than the Miami Dolphins do because not a whole lot of teams have a Tyree kill or Jalen Waddle. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I just think that Mike Gusecki is a freakish talent, you know, as far as the pass catching as pass catching tight end goes. And I just think that when you need someone to go down the middle of the field and so on in terms of drag routes and, and so on, I think that Gusecki would be your guy. The one-handed catches, um, are, you know, are astounding. He catches, he does it in traffic. You're, you, talk, you just talked about the red zone situation and so on. So I just think that you have to find a way to keep him and find a way to utilize him in a way and if, you know, that makes him you know, more uh, more efficient in the offense. That's just my take. Because Zerm Smythe is a good pass blocking. He's a good pass blocker. But as far as offense goes, he's nowhere near the skill of Gusecki, you know. And a lot of teams now, they have a skilled tight end. You know, you have, you know, you have, you know, Kyle Pitts over in Atlanta. You have Gusecki with the Dolphins. As well, you have Kelsey over with the with the Chiefs. So the, the tight end has become, especially as a receiver, has become a very important uh, position in the NFL, especially in the pass catching format. You know, that... um that we have today so that's just my take i wouldn't trade him i try to unless you get like a high pick because he's still also very young you know you're getting a guy that's uh 25 26 years old and his numbers that you know last year were, were pretty were pretty were pretty these should have more touchdowns but they were pretty gaudy you know with 73 catches 780 yards with two touchdowns so i think you have to find a way to make it work you know uh for, for so, the so here's the issue with here's the issue with bringing up the teams that you brought up you brought up kansas city well that's a team that had Travis Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill and receivers beyond that, there's a reason why they felt the need to go out and get somebody once they traded Tyreek Hill, because they don't have the level of pass catchers. There's a good friend of mine, one of our photographers, who's a huge Chiefs fan. And basically as crazy as it sounds, they didn't have enough weapons. And so they had to let Tyreek Hill go because they have a quarterback who's on a massive contract, unlike the Dolphins, who have a quarterback on a rookie contract. They had to let him go because they couldn't afford to have Travis Kelsey. Um, you, know, you go out and get Marcus Valdez Scantling. That's you had the downgrade from Tyree Kill to Valdez Scantling because it's a salary cap league, and you don't have. You needed to have another weapon there, um, and you don't have enough. Fo- you, you you the Dolphins don't have enough footballs to go around. You bring up the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are a bad team. I mean, terrible offensive team, um, and you know Kyle Pitts was their most dynamic pass catcher last year by far. They didn't have the other weapons. And Calvin Ridley gets gets kicked out of the league, basically. And they feel like they have to go and draft a receiver because they don't have enough weapons. The common theme here is not enough weapons. Not enough weapons. Dolphins have enough weapons. They have more than enough weapons. And I'll say this, Eric Uzukama has been a bad man out there. And it's not, I, I mean, he pops, he flashes every time you see him. Uh, Trent Sherfield is somebody who he's he's going to be the gunner, but then he he just seems to have this chemistry with Tua. So I think it's one of those where and look, you look at they, they cut down to fifty three today. Gasicki's still on the team, and they only kept five other receivers. So to me, that says either they're going to try to stash Craycraft and or Sanders on the practice squad, or they're going to have Mike Gasicki play receiver. And, and, you know, they kept, what, a thousand tight ends on the They don't view Mike Gesicki as a tight end. And that's okay. I don't think many teams in the league do. Now, what you then have to ask yourself is, is it more valuable to pay him $10 million this year to basically be a red zone threat or 
try to get something compensation wise for him and in a league where salary cap space rolls over it's not just 10 million dollars on this year's cap it's potentially on next year so it, there are all these things i don't deny he's a very good player and has a very good skill set but when you look at, at the the teams that you mentioned i mean the other uh, other great pass catching type mark andrews i mean who else is your receiver in baltimore i mean yeah. hollywood brown is 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 good. so it's um you know it, it's when you don't have enough weapons that player becomes more important when you have enough weapons like the dolphins finally do for the first time and who knows how long all of a sudden the importance of a player like that erodes a bit and that's when you start to to look around okay all right uh you, uh, you made some good points and so on I, I i get it okay i get it you know but yeah but i mean he's, he is a talent but you're right i'm just afraid no like i no don't but, I, I mean uh, you mentioned these other guys and it's true i just don't want to see jalen water run down the middle of the field and face linebackers that's my only thing but yeah but you brought up a good point that they have enough uh, receivers oh, out know. there I, if you get jalen water on the linebacker i think you're celebrating six i think you're pretty <laughs> excited about that <laughs> that's, it, but, but that's the thing it's like I don't think the Dolphins are thinking, oh, we need somebody to get us third and five. We need somebody who on second and eight is going to go seven. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and right. so I, 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 that again, there is a, there is absolutely a lot of skill uh, with what Gasicki brings. Um, and yet, man, I, I think, and I'll, I'll go back to, again, I mentioned I'm a Saints fan. I remember when the Saints played the 49ers 20, 2019, it was 2019. And Sean Payton came out after the game and they lost that game. It was a game where George Kittle went crazy at the end of the game. And he said, I was on the field before the game and I could not believe the speed that I saw on the field for San Francisco. It was jarring. And man, that's what the Dolphins have now. Like, I mean, Mostert is ridiculously fast. Jalen Waddell is ridiculously fast. Tyree Kill is like not human fast. I mean, so that's the type of offense that I think they're they're trying to bring. It's this explosive big play. And, um, you know, again, all, all this may be a moot point because as we stand right now, Gasicki's a receiver on this roster. And uh, I that may they may ultimately decide to pivot and say we're going to use him uh, as opposed to putting him out there as a tight end and letting the whole world know that we're going to run the ball. Maybe we'll use him more like the Saints used to use Jimmy Graham and and you know line them up out wide and, and do it like that so um yeah it's 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 a debate it's a fun one and yeah i can kind of see either either side of it 